Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. So I'm going to start off asking some rhetorical questions. I do this a lot, but I want to get your mind hopefully in the right place. Get your mind going. Get that train in your head. Choo-chooing, if you know what I'm saying. Um, people say that a lot. Here's my question for you, and I'm going to ask a lot, rhetorical, of course. But for this year, what is on your agenda? What do you have cooking up? As the cool kids say, what do you got coming down the pipe this year? That's what cool people say, right? What's coming your way this year? What are you wanting to accomplish? Who are you trying to date? For some of you, what vehicle are you trying to buy or get rid of? Some of y'all got one, you're like, man, I'd like to get rid of that. What job are you trying to get? I'm just trying to get your mind going. How much money are you trying to save? I know y'all are saving money. I know some of y'all on that Dave Ramsey plan, I know. I see you, Bentley, you Dave Ramsey guy? He ain't saying, he ain't saying. What, what circle of people are you trying to break into? I remember this. Nah, I'm not getting into that. Anyway, I was going to tell a personal story. It's not time for that. Uh, what stats are you aiming for in the gym? What PR are you trying to hit? Who in here plays any sport? It doesn't matter what it is. Could be underwater basket weaving for all I care. What stats are you trying to get on the track, on the field, on the court, wherever you're at? What are you aiming for? This year, and then I'm going to go ahead and get your mind going a little bit more. What about beyond this year? What about beyond this year? What, what are you striving for beyond this year? I, I remember when I was, uh, man, I was like fifth grade. They were trying to get me to decide what I wanted to do for a living. Did they do that to you? That is the worst. It's like, yeah, yeah, what's up with that? Like, I don't know. Anyway, but... You're to the age now, you're coming of age where you've got to start thinking, am I going to go to school? Am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to trade school? Am I going to go to a four-year university? Am I going to go to Three Rivers? Don't hate on Three Rivers. Stop hating. Anyway, what are you going to do? Who's thinking about that? Anybody? Three of you. Oh, man, that's awesome. What kind of person are you looking to marry? Maybe that's on your mind. I don't know. Some of you it is. I know it is. Where are you going to live? I hope you stay in PB. I get tired of all my good, my good people like Nathan Akers over there moving off. And I, I get to see him three times a year. Well, more than that. But it's, it's still a bummer. Anyway, how much house do you want to buy? I had a buddy. I won't mention his name. He knows who he is. He's not in here. He had on his... In his room, he had a cutout of the house that he wanted to buy when he was like 13. Anybody in here? Anyway, hopefully your mind's going. Now, maybe you've thought about some of these things. Maybe you haven't. Um, but all these things I've just said, if you haven't thought them previously, it's coming in the future. Your day is coming. But here's the real question. Here's where... 
we're headed. We're always headed somewhere, right? At least we hope so. If you have plans, I hope you have some sort of aim. I hope you have some sort of goals. Um, If you do, how did you come up with those plans? Who came up with the plans that you have? The question is, did you birth all those plans all on your own, or did God birth them in you? Because those are two really different things. Did you come up with these plans, the plans you have for this year? I know I probably didn't hit everybody's plans. I don't have time to get into every little detail and thing. But where did your plans come from? Did you come up with them? Or did God birth them in you? That is the question. I'm going to read a, a, one verse. It says the same thing in Proverbs 14:12 and Proverbs 16:25. This is what it says. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, I understand that this verse is more so talking about there's a way that seems right to man, meaning our flesh, our sinful man, thinks He knows what's right. Some people think they know what's right by the way they feel because their flesh is telling them to feel that way. And when they do a certain thing, it seems right. Are you with me? It felt good to do that. It seemed right, so I did it. That's what our flesh does. And its end is destruction. Now that is, I would believe, after studying the Scripture, that's more what it's about. But I also believe that there's more to it than that. I believe the application of this verse goes a little wider than that. I believe this, okay, that based on Scripture, I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but based on Scripture, I believe that God has given you and I the free will to make decisions about what we're going to try to achieve in this life. I'm going to say that again. I believe that God has given you the ability to choose what you want to accomplish, what you want to achieve in this life. He has given you that ability. So in other words, in a sense, you have a lot of freedom to do, in a sense, what you would like to do. Now, I would like to dunk a basketball, but I can't. And what she say? Oh, I'm a, I need to see you after service. We're going to pray for you. Pray with you with the oil. It's going to drip. All over your head. Anyway. (laughs) All right. I got to get focused again. Say focus, Zach. That helped. She's the only one that said it? Oh, come on, man. All right. (laughs) Come on, man. So, not to reemphasize, but just to get your head in the right place. Who's in the middle of all those plans that you're making? Who's in the middle? Is it you? Are you in the middle? Are you who they revolve around? Are you the one that came up with them? Or is God in the middle? Is God the one that birthed those things in you? What's guiding you? What feels right to you? Or what God's will is? Now, I, I didn't, there's things in, I'm not going to dive into as deep as I would like, and I, I don't even like saying that, but I'm just being completely honest with you. I'm going to make some pretty big statements, and I'm not going to give a lot of reason 
why these statements are true, but I encourage you to go try to find out if I'm right or not. Go search this out in God's Word. Three statements. Number one, about God's plans for your life. I believe that God has a perfect plan for your life. I believe that. I want you to understand, every word I just said was very important. That God has a perfect will, a perfect plan for your life. Now, I want you to know, God's plan for your life as a child of God is to know Him and to make Him known. That's first and foremost. We're to know God and make Him known. But tonight, we're going, to, we're going beyond that, okay? That is most important. That's foundational. That's what it's about. But beyond that, I believe this. I really, truly believe that God has a perfect will for your life. Let me explain. I believe that God has a spouse for you, that He has picked for you, that He wants you to choose. I believe that. I believe God has a college or a trade school or a job that he has for you that he wants you to take. I believe that. I do. I hope you believe the same thing. But the question is, are you going to allow God into your plans? Are you going to listen to his voice? Are you going to follow his will? Are you going to do it your way? Are you going to go your own way? And remember, I'm not talking about living a sinful life. The point I'm trying to get at, and this is the big statement number two, is this. God wants to be, and you've heard me say this before, God wants to be a lot more involved in your plans than you might realize. I don't know what all you've given over to God. And you say, you've get, yeah, you give Him your life at salvation. You say, I follow you. But that's a daily walk. We'll talk about that in a second. You're constantly giving more and more of yourself to Him. But the question is, or not the question, the thing is, is that God wants to be a lot more involved in your life than you might want Him to be. I believe that God wants to go as far as to help you find the right home when it's time to buy, or the right house to rent, or the right vehicle to buy. Let me give you a story, a personal story. Owen's about to be born. I drive, used to drive an 05 Toyota Tacoma. It was not, it was a, not, it's extended cab, but it's not a double cab or a crew cab, all right? Extended cab. So I put the, I put the car seat in the truck. It doesn't really fit. I'm like, oh, wow, this is a problem. This happens on Sunday. That Saturday, I saw a truck that an 80-some-year-old man had, and he's going blind, and he wants to get rid of it. He can't drive it anymore. I love that guy. His name is Gene. Good guy. I see it. I'm like, ah, oh, it's nice. Don't need a truck. Next day, I put the car seat in the truck, and don't fit. Wednesday, I buy the truck that I wasn't planning to buy, nor was I looking for. Owen is born on Saturday, six weeks before he was supposed to be here. And I had a truck in my hands that God gave me. That's God. You think God doesn't want to be involved in your decisions that you make, the house you buy, the things you do, the movies you watch, the music you listen to? We can just keep going. The clothes you wear, the circle you hang out in. You think God doesn't want to be involved with that? He does, and He wants. I just want to go as far as to say, as I've already said, just remember, He has a perfect will for you. I believe it. I believe it. And I think Scripture backs it up, and I hope that you do too. God wants to be involved in your yes, your no, your stay, your go. He wants to go as far as you'll let him. 
I believe that. And the longer I'm in this thing, the more I know. The more I know, man, why didn't I do this a long time ago? Because I'm a lot weaker and a lot stupider, than, which isn't a word, than I thought. Statement three about God's plan for you. If you are a child of God and you don't include God in all your plans, it might not destroy you. I'm going to say that again. Hold on. I'm going to explain. Because this isn't the point of the sermon, but I just want you to know. If you're a child of God and you don't include God in all your plans, it might not destroy you. In other words, making a big move or just a small move in general that you have the freedom to do. I'm not talking about choosing sin or not. Now, let me tell you, if you're dating someone who's not a Christian and you are, that's sinful. So that's not on the table. If you're trying to, in the future, buy a vehicle you can't afford, I just want to let you know, that's sinful. I'm talking about freedom to choose the circle you're in, freedom to make moves that God gives you the freedom to do. Understand, if you don't consult God at every little thing, it's not going to kill you. But, disclaimer, continually not consulting, listening, and or submitting to God's plan will. It will kill you. It will destroy you. And let me explain why. If we're not willing to let God step into more areas of our life and submit to Him more and more, chances are the one ruling your life is the one that's staring you back in the mirror. And if you're the ruler of your life, you make a really awful God, and I promise you, you're not serving anyone but yourself. So if you find yourself having a hard time submitting more and more of your life to God, chances are you're the God of your life and your end is destruction. Because I promise you, if you're following your own leading and your own self, you're going to change your mind 3,000 times and you're going to find yourself in a place you don't want to be. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 says this. Jesus said, this is the call of Christ, guys. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the call of Christ. And that's the call that I just said a while ago that I continually am experiencing. Is the, the closer I get to him, and the more time I spend in, in, in God's presence, the more he asks of me. And what I mean by that, the more he is asking me to submit to his plan. I found that God has even tried to warn me. Hear me out. You're going to think this is a very insignificant story, but I'm just going to tell you. I had a favorite shirt. I won't say what it was, but it was my favorite shirt. And God, one day, he said, don't wear that shirt today. I'm like, no, I want to. it's my favorite shirt. No, I don't. Well, what did I do? I wore it. Guess what happened? Got a big old flipping ink stain on it. And you're like, God doesn't want to. I'm not saying God's a genie in the sky. I'm not saying he's trying to prevent every little bad thing from happening in your life. Hear me. What I'm trying to say is God wants to be a lot more involved in your life. Just let him. And the more I follow him, 
the more I find myself trying to submit to where I buy this, how I buy that, what circle I go into, who I spend time with, what I watch. That's the way it works. This is the call of Christ. And it's not easy. It's not easy. This ain't easy. Denying self is hard. Because there's a part of you that thinks it knows the right way. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a part of you that thinks it knows better. But you don't. Isn't that the original sin? Adam and Eve thought they knew better. Anyway. Pride. God is calling us all to continually let go of more and more of the wheel. Now, I meant to already mention this, and I apologize that I didn't. But if you had to put a title on tonight, it would just simply be this. God's plans. God's plans. And tonight, we're going to look for just a moment, not very long, at Acts chapter 9. And this is a story about Saul, who would later be known as Paul, that you've heard us talk a lot about if you've been youth for a while. And understand tonight, this story is a story about radical conversion. So as we get into this, I want you to keep in mind, in part, the things we're about to talk about are, radical convert, are about radical conversion, but I also, we're taking these same principles and we're going to apply them to God wanting to get involved in more plans of our, in our lives. And I hope that makes sense here in just a moment. Now, understand, disclaimers, I have to give these, they're important. The conversion of Saul, later known as Paul, is radical. I've never heard another story like this in my life. I'm in no way saying I'm like the Apostle Paul or you're like the Apostle Paul. The only points that I'm trying to make is that there are specific things that happen in the story that I believe God tries to intervene in our life and do something similar in our life that he does to the Apostle Paul. And I'll try to be as clear as I can on that, are really the focus of the story tonight is how God intervened and how Saul responded. That's what this is all about. But before we read, because I'm going to warn you, I'm going to read 30 verses. Um, yeah, little backstory, okay? Just a smidge. Are you awake? Hit your neighbor. Say, wake up, neighbor. All right. Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. The first five chapters of Acts, the church is absolutely exploding. People are coming to Christ. It's phenomenal. Acts 6 and 7, we see a man named Stephen. Stephen begins to preach the gospel. As he preaches the gospel, you can read this for yourself, signs and wonders follow him. So people are seeing great signs and great wonders done as Stephen is preaching, but not everybody likes it. So what happens in Acts chapter seven, or Acts chapter six, and then in seven we see Stephen seized, and then in chapter seven we see Stephen become the first martyr for the church of Jesus Christ. He was stoned to death, and you can read that for yourself. But then in Acts chapter eight, one through three, which we will read quickly, it says this: Saul approved of his execution. Then there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen, and made 
great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So this verse tells us Saul was there, approved of Stephen's execution. He kept ravaging the church. He kept going into people who said they were following Jesus' homes, dragging them off, men and women, and throwing them in prison. Now here's the thing. Saul believed he was right. He did. Anyone doing something so radical, he believed he was doing the right thing. Did he not? And then we read Acts 9. We'll just start, go 1 through 3, then we'll read the rest. This is what happens in Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the, murders against the, excuse me, murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. We will stop there for now. So Saul is doing more of what he thinks is best. He goes and he's scheming and he goes and finds out more people who say they belong to the way. That's what they called early Christians. They would say, you belong to the way. You can look at it for yourself. Check it out. Anyway, Saul's doing this, right? But what does verse 3 say? Can we put verse 3 back up there? Verse 3 says this. We're almost done for the night. Maybe. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Some version says, as he went on mission, as he, I can't, the other version slipped my mind what they said. As he went on his way, on the way to Damascus, suddenly. So what's Paul doing more of? What's he doing? He's going his way. He's doing what he thinks is right. That's what he's doing. But then what happens in verse 3? We'll read verse 3 and 4. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, we'll just read it all. Why are you persecuting me? we got to get moving. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Three days. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man in Tarsus, of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, 
I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He arose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with disciples at Damascus. And immediately, Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem on those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. A few more verses. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when they came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and glared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, I said that wrong, and sent him off to Tarsus. Okay, go home and read that again. You should do it. Just do it. Just do it, Nike. Michael Scott. This is what we see, okay? Saul is going his own way. And what happens is Saul is going his own way. God interrupts him. He interrupts him. That's what he does. And then, why does God interrupt Saul? To get his attention. I'm going to stop here for a moment. Interruption, attention. The story's about conversion, right? Salvation, what happens? God comes and he interrupts your plans and he gets your attention. But let's talk about, for just a moment, let's just think about the plans that you have and the way you're going if you're a child of Christ. How many times, or maybe you're in a place right now, think back, think now, and I hope to prevent in the future, have you been doing your own thing, going your own way, and God had to interrupt you? Now, if he shone from heaven and knocked you off your horse, if you ride horses, that's really cool. If he did that, you need to tell somebody because that's flipping awesome, kind of, but not really. And then if you were blind for three days and then you were healed of that, that's really cool. You should tell somebody. But let me just get a little practical for you, give you some examples. How many times has God given you a red flag to stop dating who you're dating? Or who you're going after. When somebody says, hey, hey, hey. They're cheating on you. And you're like, oh no, I don't believe that. And then somebody else says it. How many times has, 
And this is a very broad statement. This is towards no one in this room. At all. Okay? But I've heard stories outside of this room even of people who were devoted to something. They get an injury. God interrupts their plans because they were going their own way and not his. How many times does that happen? Well, God tries to interrupt your plans to get your attention. But here's the question. When he does that, are you going to open up your ears and listen? Go back and read the story. Jesus speaks to Paul, and Paul listens. God's always speaking. Are you listening? Are you listening? Paul hears Jesus speak, and he listens. He does what Jesus tells him to do. So what happens then? So Paul listens, and as he hears, listening means he also submits. So Paul was headed his own way. God interrupts him, gets his attention. Paul listens. How sad is it if you're not listening? If God's interrupting you, trying to get your attention, and you not listen. How sad is it if you just hear and you keep going your own way? Sad. The beautiful thing, Paul doesn't. What does he do? He listens, so he submits. And so what do we see in the next verses? We see Paul, he went and did what Jesus told him to do. Go to Damascus and pray. He's there. He's not ate. He's not drank. Ananias gets spoken to. He says, go pray for the apostle Paul. I've already showed him you're coming. You're going you're gonna to restore his sight. Ananias comes, lays his hands on Saul. Sorry, I keep calling him Paul. It was called Saul at the time. There's significance to the name change we won't get into now. So I apologize for that. His sight's restored. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? The very Jesus Christ in his church, he was just persecuting. He submits to him. He gives his life to him. And he starts to proclaim his name. And then what happens? Interruption again. Except who's trying to interrupt now? The devil. The enemy is. That's what happens, is it not? Paul's preaching. Let's kill him. Peace, I'm out. That he gets out. Go read it. <coughs> That's a message version. Preaches again. We're going to kill you, dog. Oh, peace, I'm out. I'll see y'all later. Even though, you know, that's a message version. I'm sorry. Who tries to interrupt his plan then? The devil does. But as we read the Apostle Paul's life, he didn't interrupt anything, did he? No. And that, to wrap this up, we got to close. God wants to interrupt your plans, and he wants to interrupt the enemy's plans that he has for you. The devil wants to interrupt God's plans that he has for you. The good news is, Job 42, 2 says this, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What a word. Thwart. Rhymes with wart. And court. And port. The word thwart means to prevent, nix, or derail. God's plans cannot be thwarted for you. 
The only thing that can be thwarted, if you start using that word, kudos to you, man. You're a cool. The only thing that can be thwarted is your submission to God's will for your life. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to do whatever he can to get you to stop submitting to God's will. So he'll do anything he can to, quote unquote, interrupt really isn't the right word, but it is. He wants to do whatever he can to get you off course, to get you to give up, to get you to go your own way. God's plans for you will not be changed or thwarted. Your submission to them can. So here are the questions to close. How much of yourself are you willing to lay down? Are you willing to let go of your plans and listen? You ready to give God your attention to listen and submit to God's plans for your life? Not just playing plans. He wants to be more involved in your life, more than just knowing him and making him known, which is the point of our life, but he wants to be involved in every aspect. The longer you go in your faith, the more He's going to ask of you, will you submit? May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.